0: Good morning, church. Good to see all of you this morning. Thanks for joining us here at Trinity. Um, It is uh, always special to gather together, especially on the first day of the week, to start our our new week off by worshiping the Lord together. And we're going to worship God in different ways today. In just a moment, we'll worship the Lord through the hearing of his word and standing and singing praises to him and I just encourage you that as we uh, worship the Lord together today, that you would uh, be willing to meet with him and allow him to uh, to meet with you, to work in your heart. But of course, remember that uh, we are called to gather to worship, not to receive, but to give, to give back to him. But God is so good and gracious and generous that even in the midst of us giving, the Lord blesses us. Amen? Yeah, and so uh, we are here to worship the Lord. Remember that a part of our core values, the DNA here at Trinity, is that we learn, we grow, and we serve. We learn the truth, we grow in faith, and we serve each other. And uh, a big part of that is how we gather together to worship. And uh, so right now I'd like to read from the Psalms as our call to worship. I encourage you as I read Psalm 145 in its entirety, that you listen, uh, as I read it, a little bit slower than I might normally, but listen to these words as it is simply a song and psalm of praise, of praise to our God. King David writes this psalm and talks about God being our king. He is a good and gracious king. He is righteous yet benevolent to all of his people. He loves his people as king, but yet he rules with righteousness and perfect justice, and he loves each and every one of us. And our God is good, not only for what he has done, but most importantly, for who he is. So listen to these words of Psalm 145, and let these words be our call to worship our God this morning. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but will destroy the wicked. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. Father God, we thank you for this great privilege of being together in this place this morning. We have gathered here to worship you. Lord, the beauty of your word reminds us that you are God and King, that you are one who is worthy of all praise and worship, for in all of your splendor and glory we are to worship you. Father, now, as we sing songs of praise to you, may the words that we sing and the truth therein sink deep into our hearts, and that the music would move us, stir up our emotions, that we may honor you with our lips as we raise holy hands, as we stand in awe of you listening to others sing, God, this time is for you. We pray that you would be honored and that you would be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, would you stand with me and let us worship the Lord together.
1: How no is God? i uh...
0: Worship him right praise the Lord take a minute to say good morning to somebody next to you In the name of the Lord Jesus
1: Brand new beginning No room for a king No celebration and no ceremony
0: your seats. Can you uh, it's good to see uh, people fellowshipping, enjoying that. Uh, remember that we have our, uh, our uh, fellowship uh, coffee and breakfast available every Sunday morning, 9.45 until right when the service starts. And so uh, it'd be great to take advantage of that. Come a little bit early and uh, get your second or third cup of coffee and enjoy some extra fellowship. And there's always time afterwards as well. So again, thank you for joining us. And uh, just want to highlight some things that are going on here at the Life of Trinity. Uh, if you remember that we have our core values, as I mentioned before, and that's how we pursue being disciples here at Trinity, by uh, learning the truth and then growing in our faith and trust of the Lord, and then, of course, of serving and serving others. And that service starts here, and it starts among uh, our church family, and uh, then it spreads throughout these four walls. And so... We are grateful for the opportunity to continue to do this, to learn, to grow, and to serve together. Uh, Remember our discipleship pathway. We spent uh, the fall going through that and talking through the 12 stepping stones, the 12 areas that every disciple, every uh, follower of Jesus Christ should be giving attention to in their walk with the Lord and their journey with Jesus. And uh, now is when we put this into practice and we start implementing this. So remember that we have our brochures. Make sure you take one of them if you don't have any, and it just outlines the pathway. And it's all on our website as well. And so take advantage of that as a, as a way to, um, to gauge how it is that you're doing in your walk with the Lord, and are you giving attention to all of these important areas of being a follower of Jesus. And you can use it also to help others as the Lord leads you uh, in being a disciple, to help make other disciples, that you would be praying about an opportunity to get together with others to uh, to join them in their journey and to help each other. And so, these are great resources that we have now available to us. Remember also our life recovery Bible study. It meets every uh, Sunday morning uh, from uh, nine till ten fifteen, and this is just a great opportunity to get into God's Word. Uh, to, to, uh, to discover how it is that he has, through him and his spirit, given, uh, given us victory over those things that we struggle with. And so uh, we can open the word of God together and discover God's power over any problems that we might uh, be dealing with. And so it goes, that goes for any of us with any kind of issues. And so it's a good focused way to do that. Among friends, so please, uh, I would uh, encourage you to take the opportunity to be a part of that group. But we also have our Dig Deeper series. They're on break this morning, but pick back up next Sunday. And just going through this new book, which they'll begin next Sunday, the Cold Case Christianity. And so, uh, if you'd like to join, uh, just let our Elder Bruce or his wife Betsy know. They're heading up that class, and we have uh, we can get you the the book and the student guide, the study guide to do that. So. Uh, a great opportunity to get into God's Word. It's, it's a great apologetic resource and learning more about uh, what it is that we believe and how we can then share it with others from a unique perspective, right? And so that's our Dig Deeper uh, class on Sunday mornings. And of course, we have our uh, Tuesday morning studies for men and women. Uh, the men are at 6.30 and the, the ladies at 9.30 right here at Trinity. Going through the book of Genesis, you can join that group anytime. Uh, We also have, as I mentioned last week, uh, our Wednesday evening service, which we've had for a while now, but we're going to start with a bit of a new format. So this coming Wednesday, we're still here at Trinity doing what we've been doing from 6.30 to 7.30, but the following Wednesday, which is the 25th, uh, we will be starting to meet, have our Wednesday evening service at the Allenwood Church right down the road, because this is going to be a combined Wednesday evening service going forward. With our church, the Allenwood Church and Shiloh Baptist Church from downtown Manisquan, and myself and Pastor Dave and Pastor Mike Morgan from Shiloh will be uh, leading this uh, evening service. We're going to be recording our So What podcast that we've been doing for a few years. Going to be recording that live on Wednesday evenings. Uh, It'll be live streamed, but also uh, welcoming all of you to come in person. We do that for the first half, and then the second half of the evening Uh, it's interactive time. So there's a time for question and answer, a time for discussion based upon what we were talking about. And if you've listened to the podcast at all, you know that what we do is, the three of us, we uh, we take a passage of scripture from our reading through the, the Bible in a year series, and we come up with a challenge. How is it that we can apply the Word of God to be doers and not just hearers of the Word? And the three of us challenge each other to live it out that week, and then What we do is we get together, and in our podcast, we share our testimony. We share our story about what it was like that week to actually apply the Word of God in a specific way for that challenge. And then we share, and then we invite you uh, to take that challenge as well for the following week. And so it's a great opportunity to, uh, to meet with others and to engage God's Word in a very practical way, in a very unique way. And so, again, this Wednesday, we are still here. But then the following Wednesday, the 25th, we begin meeting at the Allenwood Church. It's still 6.30 to 7.30, and there's still, uh, there is a, a kids' ministry uh, that's available. So parents, you can bring your kids. It's just for that hour. And then if you can stay, we have our prayer gathering right after that, right at the Allenwood Church in their sanctuary there, as we've been doing here. And uh, it'll be awesome because we also have two other churches that will be able to join us. For our our time of uh, focused prayer, all right? And so a great opportunity. So that begins in two weeks on the 25th. So make sure you mark your calendars. And I would invite you, if you haven't come out to our Wednesday evening service, this would be a great opportunity. Just come and check it out. Even if it's something that maybe you know right now you can't commit to, I would encourage you just come check it out at least on the 25th or one of those following Wednesdays and see what it's all about. I trust that you will be blessed. We uh, have our missions team uh, that uh, just comes up with a, a way to outreach uh, every month at least. And you know, we talk about learning and growing and serving, and so this is a way for us to serve. But even in our service, we learn and we grow, don't we, uh, about each other and about the Lord and how he's working in people's lives. So at the end of this month, on the Sunday the 29th, uh, if you're interested, just go to our website, trinityallenwood.com and you can register for it. Of course, it's free, but we just want to see how many people are going. Right after service, we're just going to be heading down to Delaware. And we've done this a few times already as a church. And uh, we go and we hand out coats and, uh, and scarves and gloves and uh, uh, blessing bags uh, to people that are in need, struggling with homelessness. And it's right outside of a mission there. And so there are a lot of people that congregate under this, this bridge right near the, the mission downtown. And um, it's a blessing to be able to help people that are in need. And then uh, we have opportunities, wonderful opportunities to share the love of Jesus, uh, where people can find true help and true hope. And so uh, as I mentioned last week, if you think that, wow, this is way outside of my comfort zone, that means it's for you, right? And so take the opportunity, just sign up and so that we know that you're planning to go. And that Sunday, just bring a lunch to eat on the way down. And we kind of caravan down together and uh, we usually be, will be back by 5 or 6 that evening, all right? So uh, make it a point to put that on your calendar and uh, register for us to do that. Uh, coming up next month is our annual business meeting. That's on Sunday, February 12th, right after service. Everybody's invited. But, of course, uh, if you're a, a voting member here, you get to vote on our budget and hear some updates and other things that are going on in our vision, uh, more on our vision for the new year. So put that on your calendar as well, right after service on Sunday, February 12th and uh, remember our prayer email you can sign up for that to uh, hear about what's going on in people's lives and pray for them and then get of course the uh, the updates and how God is answering prayers and to stay connected and you simply just sign up by texting Join Trinity to that number 84576 and that's the best way to stay up to date on all that's going on in Trinity things that are happening the quick changes that we ne- might need to make because of weather you know, because of all the snow and storms that we get around here these days, right? Yeah, people are like, "Wow, what's that? What's snow? So, um, but anyway, that's the best way uh, for everybody to stay connected. Uh, I, I mentioned this last week and kind of kicked this off every year. We like to have a sort of a theme or a theme verse. And so for this year, we're taking it right from the book. We're about to start next Sunday, Second Peter. But uh, Peter ends this book by saying, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our theme verse for this year. We want to stay focused on growing as followers of Jesus, but growing in God's grace, learning all about God's grace, plumbing the depths of the beautiful word of God's grace and all that it means for us, not only in salvation, but in our lives and journey with Christ, but then also knowledge and what it looks like for us to grow in knowledge and grace. And so that is our verse for this year. And then next week, we will uh, begin Second Peter. So I encourage you to read ahead uh, as we did First Peter last year, the beginning of last year. We will dive deep into Second Peter as he talks about the coming uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ and his return and the rise of false teachers in the churches in his day and what that looks like for us today. So a very interesting study that we'll begin next week. So Finally, what I'd like to do is introduce to you um, Dr. Greg Haig. He has been here numerous times, and many of you know him, have been blessed by being able to hear him uh, share and teach the Word of God here at Trinity. Uh, But before I invited him up, just wanted to, um, just for those of you that don't know him or haven't met him yet, give him a a brief uh, word of introduction, and then I'll invite him up. Um, Dr. Greg Haig and his wife, Linda, are here today. Um, You can see their picture up there right? They look just like they do in their picture, just live. You can see them. Um, they have been sharing their faith with uh, the Jewish community for over 35 years. Uh, Dr. Haig is currently the vice president and a board member with Chosen People Ministries. Uh, their brochures are out on the, uh, the table by our, uh, all of our missionary uh, information is right out there. Make sure you take one of them. He is also the program director and a professor at the Charles Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies in Brooklyn. Uh, after completing his work uh, in seminary at Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, and he did some additional graduate work in Hebrew and Judaic studies at uh, NYU, where he got his, uh, another master's and his PhD. Uh, Dr. Haig also taught on the graduate level and undergraduate level while serving as a pastor, and he was my pastor for many years here in New Jersey for over 20 years. Dr. Haig certainly is a gifted teacher pastor, leader, and I'd say all-around good guy. Um, He has been a mentor and friend uh, of mine for more than 20 years, and I'm certainly honored to have him and his wife, Linda, back at Trinity today. So would you welcome Dr. Greg Haig, please?
2: The magnification of voice, especially when I follow someone with a booming bass voice like uh, Keith's, makes me feel like I can just barely whimper up here. But uh, but anyway, uh, I'll try to keep you awake. I'll yell once in a while, and that should do it. Um, whenever I get an opportunity to come here, I'm always just so blessed because this is a Bible church. It's in your title, it's in your name, but it's It's also in your DNA. Uh, You uh, honor the Word of God. You teach the Word of God, and you don't get things out of whack. As I was traveling down here today, uh, Linda and I ran across something that was a a quote from a Bible teacher from 20 years ago or so, and I thought it would be good to read it to you. It might uh, give you a little bit of encouragement. That quote, it says, in the future, you you will watch generation of Christians set the Bible aside in an attempt to become more like Jesus. And stunningly, it will sound completely plausible. This will be perhaps the cleverest of all the devil's schemes in your generation. Sacrifice truth for love's sake. And you will rise or fall based on whether you will sacrifice one or the other. Will you have the courage to live in the tension of both truth and love? That's a pretty good statement. And it's predictive as well because I think that's where we are in our generation. But so for churches like this and others that are trying to maintain the proclamation of the word, the truth of the gospel... And the edification of the saints, the building up of the saints through the teaching of the Word of God—that's uh, that's what's so important these days. And I, I trust you'll keep at it. Um, well, I'm here usually uh, as pulpit supply. You know, Keith will call me on a late Saturday night and say, "I just don't want to preach tomorrow. Would you come?" So that's when I normally show up here. But uh, okay, okay, that's not true. None of that is true. But occasionally, I. Uh, I'm invited to speak because of my connection with Chosen People Ministries, and and that's why I'm here today. Although I'm not giving a message related to Chosen People, it might be uh, a connection that you'll see because uh, Chosen People Ministries is um, really interested in reaching out to the Jewish people in particular, as you would guess by the name, and our whole ministry has been devoted to that. I guess since we moved here in 1980, to do uh, work at NYU and then, and then to become part of the uh, Chosen People Ministry staff and board, uh, and direct this program that we have—it's been a wonderful opportunity. But that's why we exist, and um, one of the reasons that we can do what we do is because we have wonderful donors. We have a tremendous donor support in this ministry that goes back—oh my gosh, how 150 years, uh, almost so. So this is a, an old, old ministry with some old, old people still working in it. And we need support. We need your support to continue doing what we're doing. And that's why the brochure is somewhere in the back. You could read that. And and uh, it's just a blue, blue brochure. And the importance of looking at this, I think I brought enough for most of you, is that you can see great opportunities for you personally to get involved not just with chosen people, but with uh, the various things that you can receive in order to make you more capable of communicating the truth especially to the Jewish community. Now one of the things that we're doing and that's I wanted to introduce this by saying that the reason I selected a very very contemporary passage uh, for today's message we want to be you know cool and hip and with it that's why I have my boomers bible with me and I understand they have these on online or something now, but I, I like this one. So, um, but, but, uh, what I really want to, uh, encourage you to, uh, to understand here is that, uh, we, we, we study the scriptures always with the purpose of seeing the current relevance of the scriptures. It's the application of the word of God, all of the word of God to our lives today. And you know the verse. You know you've memorized it. I'm sure all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God might be thoroughly furnished unto all good things. So the Word of God once again is very, very important. So I've cho- I've chosen a very contemporary passage. We're going to look at uh, something that occurred 3,500 years ago, <laughs> and see if it has, has any relevance for us today. But why? choose Exodus chapters 1 through 3 today. Well, the reason is uh, that we are uh, trying to follow the, the, the Jewish liturgy in the prayer book so that every week there's a portion of Scripture that is read and sometimes studied in the Jewish circles, in Jewish circles. And so... We want to spend our time in that before the weekend that arrives. And I have a wonderful opportunity of sharing uh, from week to week with a small group of people who are quite interested in reaching out to the Jewish people, because we're called to do that as believers. Um, and I have brought with me something that might be of interest to you. You can find this online from Chosen People Ministries if you go there. It's called the portion because every week there is a portion or a parsha or a reading that is done in in the Jewish uh, uh, circle, in Jewish circles, the Jewish community, temples and and, uh, shuls and synagogues all around the world. And they're always following the prayer book. So this is divided up into devotional readings for every week for about 50 weeks. And think about it. The five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. Those books are read throughout the year, and at the end of the year, the reading of the uh, of the of the books, uh, there's something called Simchat Torah, which is the joy of the Torah, and it's a celebration of reading through the book, the five books of Moses. But throughout that whole year, there is a portion that is read, and the portion that is for this week just happens to be Exodus, chapter one through chapter six, verse, uh, verse one of chapter six. And so I've been living in that section this week, this past week, and I'm going to be doing it throughout the entire year. Uh, That's my desire anyway, is to follow that program as well as some other programs to study. But there's another reason why I think this passage, uh, and by now you've probably found Exodus chapter 1. There's another reason why this is a very important passage to me. I was in Dallas Theological Seminary, already a a believer and already called to ministry and and involved in uh, learning at the seminary when Chuck Swindoll, who later became my pastor, uh, came to speak and he spoke on this particular passage. And he said, any old bush would do. He's talking about the burning bush. He says, just respond what God wants you to do and follow him. So in the life of, Moses, we're going to see the same kind of call on the lives of people even today. Obviously there are a lot of differences and we'll go through some of the explanation of that. But I want you to keep in mind that we have a God who still calls people to ministry. And it may not be to a Billy Graham level ministry or a Moses ministry, but it might be to whatever he has put before you. And your response to him might be very, very similar, and it might take the same kind of thing. So by the time we're finished, we're, we're going to see some application. Applications in general, but also applications specifically for leadership. And when I say leadership, I don't mean Keith, I don't mean me, I don't mean, I mean all of us who are challenged to move forward in our service for the Lord. So that's what we want to do. And, and so um, it's, it's a personally significant passage to me. So it's the call of Moses, it's the call of you, it's the call of me, it's, it's how we respond. But we need to uh, lay some of the groundwork for this, and to do that, I want you to look at chapter one, our focus will be on chapter three, but in chapter one, we see that God chooses Moses, and you might apply that to yourselves as well. You've been chosen, if you know the Lord, you've been drawn to him in a very mysterious and mystical way, uh, uh, spiritual way. For some reason you have experienced the salvation of the Lord and now he wants to do something with you. But God chooses Moses and he chooses him out of the affliction of his people. And we'll learn that sometimes leadership comes as a result of the oppression and the affliction and the bad times that uh, the people of God are going through. So first of all, the affliction, if you look at chapter one, verses one through five, You'll learn and we're gonna be very, very brief in chapters one and two in particular, but uh, first of all, the 12 tribes are mentioned because the 12 sons are mentioned. And now we're talking about a a 400 year period that has uh, uh, transpired. And we have the multiplication of the Jewish people in Egypt. They're in Egypt and they're awaiting their Exodus, which will come later on in the book of Exodus. That's why it's called that in the English but there's a rapid multiplication of the children of Israel in Egypt, and the land was filled with them. It says even back in Genesis, it was filled with them. And we estimated last night that there might have been 2.5 million people who left Egypt and entered the promised land or entered the uh, wilderness in Mount si- at Sinai. <clears throat> so we have a large number of people. And uh, the Egyptians are oppressing the people of Israel who are living in Goshen at this time. And why are they doing that? It's because they fear that there will be a fifth column in case they're invaded by any other uh, uh, nation. They're afraid that the large population of slaves will rebel against the leading Pharaoh and it'll be a political thing and they'll lose all of the strength and power that they have in the land. So there's a, legitical, a legitimate reason for this uh, oppression of the, of the Jewish people. They didn't want to give them any freedom at all And yet, even though they were pushed down, they still grew more and more. And so, um, the affliction, if you look in verse 12, it says, "...the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out, so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel." The Egyptians uh, uh, compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field and their labors, which they rigorously imposed upon them. And then what happens? Well, we have a king of Egypt who speaks to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Tifa, Tifa, I should say, and the other was named Pua. That's two out of probably a large number of people. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it's a son, put him to death. So it's an early form of infanticide, early form of abortion, certainly late term. Uh, but if it's a daughter, then she shall live. I know that you understand the, uh, the reason for this. It's so that in some way, the enemy would be able to eliminate the people of Israel. Now, this growth in the face of affliction is something that not just the people of Israel were in charge of, but God was in charge of. And we know that because of the way the midwives disobeyed the Pharaoh's instructions. And as a result, the people continued to grow. It came to the point, if you look at verse 22 in the chapter, the Pharaoh finally commanded all his people saying, everyone who is born Every son who was born, you were to cast into the Nile and every daughter, you were to keep alive. The interesting thing is, as you probably know from your Sunday school days, is that God blessed the lying perhaps of the midwives who said that they couldn't get to the birthing place in time. And so the, the boys lived. And yet God in verse 20 says was good to the midwives the people continued multiplying, even the families of the midwives, he gave them households, and usually the midwives did not have such. So we see things like obedience to God, in spite of what the government is saying. I don't wanna to get too far afield here, but if you are going to be one of the people in God's program who is willing To live for him and obey him, it may result in some very difficult decision making when you try to determine how to obey God and not men. Now this is not a message on ethics, but as you can tell, this is a very important discussion in our contemporary society. And yet we find it 3,500 years ago. There's clearly a reward given though, isn't there? The midwives are rewarded for their obedience to God. I think we need to also point out here before we go any further that Pharaoh's command is consistent with Satan's plan. His plan of Jew hatred throughout the centuries as an attack against God's Messiah, an ultimate plan for Israel and his plan of redemption. Uh, Folks, uh, I, I don't need to tell this group because I think I know where you are theologically but in the churches in America and around the world today, there is a growing, growing anti-Semitism that seeks to discredit the nation of Israel and to displace the nation of Israel as it exists today. And I think that we, uh, we need to be very careful about succumbing to that kind of replacement theology that says the church somehow has replaced Israel and all of the promises that were made to the nation are now forfeited somehow mystically spiritually in the church today. So let's keep, uh, keep in mind that, um, that we must uh, support, support God's people. Now, let's look at the preparation of Moses in chapter 2. There's a man from the house of Levi, went and married a, a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived. Her name, by the way, was Jochebed, and uh, his name was uh, Amram. And they bore a son and she saw that he was beautiful. He was especially beautiful. It wasn't just because he was beautiful, I think. It was because that she had some kind of inclination about his future. I think of Mary and Jesus a little bit. I think it might be, it's not stated that way, but there are all kinds of comparisons here between Moses and Yeshua, Jesus. So it's uh, uh, the the very thought that there was something special about her son, I think uh, she realized that and she couldn't hide him any longer, verse 3, so she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch and he put, out the, put the child out into, the, into it and set it among the reeds by the, uh, the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance. That sister is Miriam, by the way. And she's watching, uh, probably overlooking this to see what's going to happen. But they knew that the baby was protected in some way because of the basket that it was put in. And it was uh, protected from the, the river as well as, as from other things that might have happened to it. And so it's floating in, and, and it's, 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 it just happens to float into the presence of the daughter of the Pharaoh. And the daughter of the Pharaoh, you'll notice something in verse 6. She, uh, she saw the basket and she sent her maid and she brought it to her. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the boy was crying... So Moses was crying at this point, she had pity on him and then she said, this Egyptian princess, she said, this is one of the Hebrew children. What should she have done at the instruction of her father? She should have made sure that that baby was terminated, right? But she didn't. Why? We have an amazing, an amazing reversal of culture here and I think it's orchestrated by God. I said this last night and I I say it to my students very often. We focus on the people of the Bible. We want to see what Moses is like and how we can emulate him perhaps. But the first question that you ask in Bible study is, is not that. The first question is, what is God doing? That's the main question throughout the whole Bible. What is God doing? And What is he doing here? He's preserving a people. He's preparing a leader. He's choosing this one that will be called uh, Moshe, the one who's drawn from the river. The word means to draw. So, you know, the rest of the story, we have the protection of Moses in chapter two here, and then we have the provision for Moses in that uh, Moses is given into the, the home of the, of the daughter of Pharaoh and um, she cares for him. She raises Moses and she even provides, Uh, suckle for him as a baby, and you know the story, I hope, but how did that come about? Well, Miriam suggested that one of the Hebrew women could provide uh, milk as a nurse, and what do you know? God orchestrated something else pretty special, didn't he? Because his very mother was the one who was able to nurse Moses. And so we have this interesting interplay between Moses growing up uh, being very much involved in the Hebrew uh, community of his day, and yet also, as we'll see, he was very much involved in growing up in the Egyptian palace. A strange combination, I would say. And yet this provision meant that he learned about his Hebrew background, I think, He learned of the God of the fathers, and he realized that the Hebrews were his fellow countrymen. And then when it came to Egypt, what did he learn? Most people feel that as part of Egyptian royalty, he must have been trained in all kinds of disciplines, such as geography and history and grammar and writing and literature and philosophy and music. So he had the Egyptian royalty, the pedigree. You have to imagine, because uh, now, I know it's a little hard to imagine what things were like 3,500 years ago, but we know a lot. We actually do know a lot of what it was like. We know, for example, that Egypt was a center of cultural uh, education and knowledge. It was a powerhouse of the day. And, and so we know that Moses in that position must have been extremely well trained. I like to think about this in terms of how we in our society today Uh, would encourage people who are going to do ministry to be extremely well-trained with a a good basis of of understanding in an undergraduate program, and then going on to the medical school of uh, Christian work, which is seminary, and then going on perhaps to specialize. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But something has to happen to one so educated. Something has to happen. And uh, you either orchestrate it yourselves to make sure that you learn humility or God will do it for you. And he did it here. He's done it to me, by the way. I won't tell you the stories. But uh, there's got to be a way where you get off your high horse and you realize that you've probably been educated beyond your intelligence. And then you get to work doing the ministry that he's called you to. Well, I think that's probably what happened here. Now... So we see Moses' birth, we see his childhood, and this is essentially the first 40 years of his life described in verses uh, uh, one through 10. It says, the child grew in verse 10 and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses and said, because I drew, drew him out of the water. Now verses 11 through 25 of chapter two, give us the second half or the second, third, I should say, of Moses' life from age 40 through 80, perhaps. Now, what I want you to realize is that God's role in all of this, your life is also in his hands. You, you, don't, you don't just let life happen to you. You realize that God has a purpose. And you try to find out what that purpose is. It might be the humblest kind of menial task that you could imagine in this life. You're a child of the king. You're royalty. You have training that you need to do what he's calling you to do. I find that in the church today, very little happens when people don't realize this significant truth. You have a purpose. It's like uh, the four spiritual laws of a previous generation used to say, if you're trying to witness to somebody, God has a, has a wonderful plan for your life. And I wanna to suggest to you that where, whatever station of life you're in, if you are trusting in Yeshua, if you're trusting in the Messiah for your personal salvation and your eternal life, why not trust him for the rest of this life? And just lean upon him as Moses learns to do but he goes through a little bit of training before that happens, doesn't he? Because in verse 11, he has to uh, 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 learn about how to deal with his pride in my, uh, as I tell my students in my humble but accurate opinion. This is all about pride. So let's read it together. Verse 11, it says, Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, he went out to his brethren, and he looked on their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his brethren. And so Moses is gaining sympathy for his fellow Israelites. He knows, he knows that they are, um, that they are, that he is related to them. He knows his background. So now he's making a decision. This is the beginning of a decision that he makes to turn away from his past and move toward the future. Some of you maybe need to do that as well. I don't know where you are in your lives that's the good part about coming in as a guest speaker. I can say whatever I want to and not offend anybody because I don't know you. But listen to what, uh, listen to what um, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says concerning Moses at this juncture. It says, by faith, when he became of age, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So you can see he's moving away from the royal palace already, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Messiah, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. The book of Hebrews tells us that he knew something about Christos or Moshiach. He knew something about Messiah. He must have learned that God was going to provide the deliverance that they were always looking for. and He saw that uh, uh, when an Egyptian was beating a Hebrew, he says, I wanna, I wanna step in, I wanna do something. But evidently he was doing it in his own power because that's what the rest of the passage says. It says in verse 12, he looked this way and that way. That is, he's looking around to see if anybody's watching. And when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Well, that tells us that he was very impulsive and he felt that he could handle the situation. So he kills this Egyptian. The book of Acts also says something very similar to the book of Hebrews, but let me just quote that for you. It's in Acts chapter seven. Just when he was 40 years old. Now we know the age. It came to his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and he struck down the Egyptian for he supposed that his brethren would have understood. Wouldn't you understand? I mean, if you're coming to the defense of your people, wouldn't they understand that God would deliver them by his hand? You can just see him strutting around almost. Look at what I've done for my people. Now, my people, won't you accept me? It almost sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Look what I've done for you, will not you accept me? Think this in your, the back of your mind. So we have impulsivity here to be sure. And then we have rejection because in verses 13 through 14, it says he went out the next day, behold two Hebrews were fighting with each other and they said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? Or I'm sorry, he said that. And he said, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Now we've got two Jewish people fighting together, and Moses responded. He was afraid, saying, Surely the matter has become known. Now they know that I murdered somebody. They knew that I furtively looked around to make sure nobody was watching, and then I buried him in a shallow grave in the sand. So he did something wrong. No, no doubt about it, even though he was defending the people of God. Pharaoh, in fact, heard about it. So verse 15 says, he heard about the matter. He tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and he settled in the land of Midian. And so now Moses is on the run. He's on the land because he's killed somebody and the Pharaoh is after him. And This is becomes the, the, perhaps the most significant event in his life. Well, maybe not. It's going to end with a vision that, um, that he receives. But let's see this. Let's notice that he was rejected. So Moses is rejected by his own people in 13 and 14. And um, uh, I'm not the only one, but so many others have noticed the connection between Jesus and Moses. Both were favored by God from their very birth. Both were miraculously preserved during childhood. Both were mighty in words and deed. Both, offered deliverance to Israel, they offered the deliverance, Moses at Passover, of course, when he says just apply the blood, just understand that there's an exchange of life going on here. Uh, The blood of the animal indicates the redemption of God, and all you need to do is to trust enough, believe enough to apply to the doorposts of your house, and you'll be spared. That's the deliverance that Moses was offering, and the deliverance that Jesus is offering is similar by his own blood, there will be redemption, there will be deliverance, and that has to be applied. It's the exchange of life principle that has to be applied to the heart, uh, the, the heart uh, of, of, of your heart. And yet he was rejected, and he was rejected in spite, and so was Yeshua. Rejected in their right to be prince and a judge. He wants to be the prince. He wants to be the arbitrator in your life. He wants to be the ruler and yet he's rejected so often, certainly by those who don't know him, but here's what I find. Even those of us who know him, we don't want him to rule our lives. We can do it better ourselves, thank you. Verse 15, well, I read that. Now we go into the humiliation humiliation phase. I say it's uh, humbling, but it's more than that, it's humiliation, because now he goes into Midian and he um, he, he he goes from palace Pasture, and he helps the daughters of the priest of Midian, and I think that was probably a family that descended from Keturah, uh, one of the other daughters of uh, Abraham. Anyway, Gershom is born, uh, but here's what I want to point out in verses 23 through 25. It's that God remembers Israel. So God heard their groanings. This is back in Egypt. He hears, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. That's a beautiful idea because the covenant is repeated over and over again. You know from the study of the book of Genesis, if you've been doing it, that repeatedly God says that the nation of Israel is very, very special from the Abrahamic covenant on. And it says that the world is going to be blessed because of this particular family. And that they were chosen not because of how great they were, how high and noble they were, but rather because of the love, the simple love of God for that nation. But it's repeated over and over in the book of Exodus, we find the same thing. Anybody want to ask a question? While I... Good, I'm sorry. All right, let's keep going and notice that after this covenant, now we have the time when Moses has been humbled. He has been humiliated into the position that he's in. Can you imagine becoming a shepherd after being in the palace? And chapter three begins, now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro. It wasn't even his own flock. Priest of Midian and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That's Mount Sinai as well. And the angel of the Lord, isn't this interesting? The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush and he looked, and he behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. Well, there's so much here. When did you say I stopped? Well, that says 1245. I guess I did. No, honestly, I have no concept of time right now. Yeah. Just, just wave at me. All right, well, anyway, look at verses one through three, we've got a burning bush that comes. I consider this to be the call of Moses. You know, in the Old Testament, it's awfully hard to determine when someone comes to saving faith, wouldn't you agree? Look at all these different characters in the Old Testament. Well, when did they really come to believe in God? In the same way that we do, we know that there's a point of salvation for us. Uh, We may, may be unclear about what it is, but we know that there's one and we are instantaneously baptized into the body of Messiah miraculously, mysteriously, we are placed in his body. But we're not sure about this time. I like to think that the call of Moses happened at the same time as his commission. But How was he called? He had an experience with God. I think most of us who have come to faith in Jesus I've had some kind of experience. Sometimes it's a very uh, great experience. Sometimes it's very small. And yet there's something that says we know know that we know. I think Moses knew that he knew after this event because we've got this burning bush. I was in Israel. I've been there several times, but I've been there at the St. Catherine's Monastery, and they have a big bush with red berries on it. You know where I'm going with this the priest who was there said, that's probably the burning bush. He was talking about the idea that the light shines in a certain way, it looks like it's uh, on fire. I said, well, maybe that was it. I tend to think it was more (laughs) more significantly led by God. Others say that there's a spontaneous combustion in a lot of the dry bushes that are around in Egypt. And I suppose that's true too. There's something different about this one, it didn't burn out, it kept blazing. Oh, there's something else a little different to it, too. Uh, there was a voice that came out of it. And so, uh, I like what Kaiser says, uh, Walt Kaiser, a great Old Testament scholar says, to explain what happened here as a temporary mirage of some reflected sunlight on some red leaves or a campfire of some Bedouin or even the phenomenon of St. Elmo's fire. is to substitute our experience for Moses' experience 40 years in that area and his estimate that it was indeed unusual. Well, again, what did this experience do for Moses? I don't know exactly, but the angel of the Lord spoke and the bush was not consumed. Some feel that this is a symbol of Israel. I can see this. Uh, The people of God are more generally afflicted, but they're not destroyed because God is in the midst of the people of Israel. I like to think that, that's a nice thought. I don't know whether that was the intent of the author. Others said, well, this is a picture of the cross. The Hebrew meaning of the thorn bush, and it's translated this way, it's the thorn bush in the New Testament, or bramble, is Jesus crowned with thorns. He's enduring the fires of judgment, and yet he was not consumed by them. Well, I like that, too, although some of that's a little bit fanciful exegesis, I think. But notice that God does call to him, and Moses is so curious that he turns, doesn't he? He turns, and God says, Moses, Moses, look. And so there's a response to the experience. And here's the important thing that I want to tell you. There has to be both experience of some sort. There also has to be revelation for someone to truly come to God. Some have counted their salvation based only on experience without understanding. But we want to avoid that. Anyway, he is spoken to out of the bush. Uh, no one has seen God at any time, the New Testament says. The old, only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he is the one who's declared him. So we know that whatever Moses saw, he didn't see God the Father. And therefore, most of us believe that the angel of the Lord is a reference to the pre-incarnate appearance of Yeshua, Jesus. I don't have any problem believing that. If he can be resurrected from the dead, he can also appear 3,500 years ago, which I believe he did. Well, let's keep going and notice that uh, after this is uh, spoken, he's got some revelation to give to him, and the revelation um, tells him who he is. Moses says, uh, here I am. And then God says, here's, here's what you need to keep in mind. And leaders probably should do this too. Don't come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I think that's a caution. Uh, it's a caution to all of us, whether in leadership or not, followership. It is the idea that God expects us to be holy when we approach Him. Uh, But you're not. I know you're not. I I might be sometimes, but I know you're not. We are not. Uh, We're riddled with failure and sin. Uh, We could probably go around the room and be very, very specific about that if we were open. As my wife likes to say in her counseling ministry, we are all deeply flawed and woefully lacking. That is true. So how do we come to God and expect to be used by him in leadership or other capacities? The only way is to have our sins forgiven through the continual work of the Messiah on our behalf. And So that's why we have a verse like 1 John 1:9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And not only that, but to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Unfortunately, he has to do that a lot, doesn't he? Somebody said, we, we wear First John 1, 9 slick. We use it so much. But that's the nature of the beast. And I think Moses came to understand that. There's a holiness about God that we cannot approach. And the only way that we can is when we are invited, and we understand who he is and who is he? Verse six, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. That's the response that we ought to have instead of Jesus, my buddy, you know, there's just something different about having the reverence for God. And notice the plan of God is still repeated Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, always going back to the covenant that he has made. And now finally we have the commission that is given. The commission is in verses 7 and following. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, because I'm aware of their sufferings. He's compassionate, right? And I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. I'll stop right there because skip down to verse 10. It says, therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh. Something's going on here. And here's what I think the, the leader or the one who wants to be used by God has to understand. Here are just a few things. And you can add to this list, I'm sure. First of all, you gotta understand God's plan. His plan is the covenant that he's made with Israel. And we, as Gentile believers today in this age, have been blessed to be grafted into that tree, grafted into the plan and we know that our, our Jewish Messiah, it's a wonderful thing, but it's all part of God's plan. Secondly, notice that God's compassion, the leader must know God's plan, he must know God's compassion, that God has compassion on those who are suffering. If we understand how people are suffering, whether they're religious fanatics or not, deep down inside there's a suffering going on and only Jesus can touch that place Thirdly, notice that, th- that we have to understand God's process. God's process is not, I'm coming down to clean things up. That's what he says in verse 8. I've come down to do this. I've, I've, <laughs> I've visited the planet in order to make things right. That's the purpose of Emmanuel. That's the purpose of God with us. He's come to make things right and then look what he says. He's going to use you. Moses, I would uh, extrapolate from that and say, he's going to use you, and he's going to use me. God's compassion drives his process. One man said he could do it all by himself, but it's most often God's plan to work with and through people, because we are tunerges, we are we are workers together with him. Isn't that nice to be in partnership with Jesus? That's a pretty good deal. Second Corinthians 6.1 tells us that. Well, what's your response to that? It's the same as I've had and it's the same that I had back in seminary. I, I can remember when the challenge came uh, to go into the pastorate. And I said, huh? Who, me? Are you kidding me? You, you must be crazy. And um, that's the way I felt when I was hearing that message. And then the message just kind of shifted things around for me. I remember it like it was yesterday, and I realized that it wasn't me. It is not you. It's God working through you. So he says in verse 10, now I'm going to send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, uh, out of Egypt. And Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that I uh, have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. So he's coming back to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, and he's going to be receiving the law and, and teaching the people. I think this is an amazing statement. Verse 13, Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What do I say to them then? So here Moses is so, uh, he's just incredulous at the point of saying, who, me? How am I supposed to do this job of ministry? And besides, if I go to them, uh, who am I going to say has sent me? And now we have the, 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 the kernel in this chapter. Unfortunately, we don't have much time to spend on it. No time, perhaps. But please notice what he says. Here's my name. God said to Moses, I am who I am and he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am as sent me to you. And in verse 15 he says, it will be my memorial name for all generations. Now this is the word that has the four letters for God and we translate it in the Bible as Jehovah or um, as Yahweh perhaps, but it's L-O-R-D, capitalized. And we wonder, well, who is that? How is it possible that this is a reference to, to God? It's so revered, it's called the Tetragrammaton, and it's not even pronounced in Jewish circles. If I were reading, as I have many times in a, a Jewish setting, you come across these four consonants, and you can't say the word. You don't translate it, you say Adonai or Hashem, because it takes the place of speaking the name of God. It's so revered within the Jewish community. Well, what is this name? What does it refer to? Who is this? Uh, God had different names. I'm not going to go into this. It's a little detailed, but in the New, in the Old Testament, there are several names that are given to God. Well, what about this one? What about this I am? What does it mean? It means the self-existent one, nothing before, nothing after, nothing needed. It's the one and only, it's God himself. And so he says, say that I'm the one, God is the one who sent. Can you say that to people? I mean, can you literally think in your mind in these interactions that you have with people? God has sent me to you. Uh, Can you say that if you're trying to help a believer who's struggling with some kind of an addiction or whatever? God has sent me to you. Uh, I believe that's the mindset that we ought to have as Moses did when he went, but here, get this, what is the I am? If you've studied the New Testament, and especially if you've studied the Greek language, you know there's a phrase called eimi," and it's a transliteration really from Hebrew to Greek, and it's the word I am, and what does Jesus say? I said to you that you will die in your sins, or if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus said, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing of myself, but as my father taught me, I speak these things to you. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. This is speaking of him as judge, as deity, as eternal. He said, now I tell you before it comes, when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am. See, Jesus knew what was before him. He's prophet as well. And so all of these things relate to our Lord Jesus. just the point that of argument for his divine status. He says, "I am the one who sends you as well." All right, well, I think we need to conclude, and let's do that by just glancing at the last few verses of the chapter. And uh, notice in verse uh, 16, he says, go and gather the elders of Israel. And So now Moses has to go and tell the rest of Israel uh, what God has told him. And you can imagine how real he he seems to be. Even though he was a spokesman, probably learned uh, hermeneutics and all the other sciences of speech in Egypt. He felt uh, uh, unequal to the task of going before Pharaoh and even going before the elders here. But he tells them, he tells them, and he knows that there's going to be opposition as well. So what is God's message? Let me sum it up for you very briefly. It's the same message that we have. Uh, God's message is number one, I will deliver. It's not gonna be you, it's gonna be me. I will deliver when you're in those situations. Number two, I will overcome the obstacles that I know are there. He says, I know that Pharaoh is going to resist your plea to let the people go. I know that already, God says. And he further says, I will cause them to listen. I'll cause the elders to listen, and I'll also cause the Egyptians to listen. And he says, I will even convince the opposition when it arises. That's summary for what we've just looked at. Well, the last thing, and uh, I want to stress this without going into the chapter at all, but after all of that, if God, the I am, if Yeshua, Hamashiach, if Jesus the Messiah, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the door, I am the vine, I, all of those speak to his deity. If he were to say that to you, what would you say? Great, let's go, right? No, Moses didn't. In chapter 4, verse 10, he said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. But Moses wanted to turn his back and not do what God had called him to do. How many people in ministry today do not want to do what God has called them to do because of their sense of inadequacy? Well, don't you think that the leaders should be in a position where they're listening to what God's saying to them? Maybe he's saying it to them Maybe he's saying it to you through this uh, contemporary passage. Let me summarize this and we'll go home. What is the application? You've probably been jotting down some notes of your own. I hope you have. Here are some general applications very quickly. Out of difficult times, leaders emerge. We're in a world of hurt these days. And I think leaders are going to emerge. The affliction of believers, whether individuals or groups like the nation of Israel or the church of Jesus Christ, the affliction of believers can produce great leaders. We also learned that God honors those who obey him rather than men like the midwives. We also learned in the passage that the enemy hates the Jews because he knows the end game he knows what the end is supposed to be he wants to exterminate the jewish people from whom came the messiah and uh, and israel to whom the messiah will return here's another very interesting point i think are you willing are you willing to entrust your children to god the way the mother of moses was able to entrust moses to god Are you willing to identify with God's people like Moses did without murdering anybody? Don't do that. It's a little too far. But Are you willing to identify? And now specifically, and I'll close with this, leaders are both born and trained. Leaders may be highly qualified and yet not have God. Leaders must have humility. If you don't, bring it to yourself, it'll probably happen to you. Remember from the the passage, leaders must know God's plan, God's compassion, God's process, and God's name, the eternal I am. And then leaders are in the business of convincing God's people to trust God's plan, God's compassion, God's process, and God's name. Finally, leaders must accept the possibility of opposition. In fact, expect the certainty of opposition. And when it comes, once again, trust the Lord. I have no idea what time it is, I don't even care. uh, I'll hang around if you wanna ask questions, that's where we really get into good discussions. But let me pray for you now. Father, we're so thankful that you have given us um, a, a way forward, and uh, much of it is in the way we feel, what we experience, and much of it is in the way we conjure up love for other people. Much, much of the way forward is, is how we react to others, and I pray that we will continue to be compassionate like you are and try to meet the needs that people have around us, but dear God, Deliver us from the kind of activity that leaves out the word. Lord, deliver us from not mentioning eternal life as being more important than this temporary material life. Dear Father, give us the the ability and uh, the compulsion to do the best that we can to share the good news with those around us. We praise you for what you do in us and through us. And we ask all these things, Bashem Yeshua HaMashiach in the name of Jesus, who is the Messiah of Israel. Amen. Do this, watch.
0: You stand with me, please. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go? God said, I'll be with you. Believe that? Church, go in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be blessed this week. And pray that God would remind you often of what you have been reminded of here this morning. As you take the peace of God, the joy of the Savior with you, to be a blessing to other people and pray about how the Lord may use you as he's calling you as he did Moses. Father God, thank you for this time. May you be blessed by what we do. Give us the courage and the strength to follow you all of our days. As we leave here, Lord God, Father, encourage us this week that we may live for you since Jesus died for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I encourage you to take a moment to say good morning to Dr. Haig and his wife, Linda, on your way out and encourage them as well.
1: done for me. He's our rescuer. He's our rescuer. We are free from sin forevermore. Oh, how sweet the sound. Oh, how praise abounds. We'll praise the Lord, our rescuer. There is good news for the captive. Good news for the shame. There is good news. He's